thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Good morning. It's, it's good to see everyone. Uh, as most of you know, that we have a, a number of members that are out with covid and so that's where so many of our members are this morning. That's where, that's where Matthew and, and Blair are, and that's where Jonathan and them are as well. So let's continue to pray for them. And I also got a, a message from, from Gary Mize just shortly, an uh, hour or so before services this morning, and he had told me that they were sick. I think Judd and them have been sick as well, and so... Uh, he asked for the prayers of the church. I think he's going to get tested uh, today. So, so keep Gary and, and them in your prayers as well. But it is good to see everyone this morning. And we welcome all of those that may be watching online as well. Our lesson this morning is entitled, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And you know, we've probably uttered these words numerous times over the last week or so because that's what we do this time of year. When we greet people, we say, Happy New Year. And sometimes we make this statement, we say we wish people a Happy New Year, and we don't put much thought into it because we're creatures of habit. And so we say Happy New Year, but we it, it becomes habit, and we don't put a lot of thought into it. But this morning, for just a few moments, and I told Mandy, I said, I think this sermon this morning may be a little bit short. And she said, you've never preached this short sermon. And I said, well, I'm going to try to prove you wrong this morning. And, uh, but I want for just a few moments that I want for us to look at what it will take in order for us to ensure that we have indeed a happy new year. And not just a happy new year in a worldly sense, but a a happy year in a spiritual sense that, that we're spiritually successful, that our commitment to Christ, that it grows this year, that we grow and mature as servants of God. So, so we're going to look at what it'll take to have a happy new year. And, you know, if we're going to have a happy new year, we're going to have to be happy. We're going to have to put a smile on our face and... Um, and you know what? God, he wants us to be happy. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he wants us to be happy. He wants to bless us. But, you know, so many people in the world that their idea of happiness is not the same idea that the Lord has for our happiness because their happiness comes from, from the, the worldly pleasures and things of the world, but God wants us to be happy in a godly way. He wants our happiness to derive from serving him. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 9, or in John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. For the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus wants you and he wants me to enjoy 
this abundant life. Not a worldly life, a, a life of worldly pleasure, but a life that is focused on him and on serving him and on serving Jesus and on serving others. But when you look at the world in which we live, you know, America, we got a lot of problems. And if you wonder about what our problems are, all you have to do is turn on the evening news. Just turn on the evening news and you'll find out about all the problems. In fact, I just have to turn it off most of the time because it's so depressing. But you know, in reality, we live in a country that we have problems, yes, but we're so, we've been so blessed in the past that we're a wealthy nation. We have so, you know, we have so much at our disposal. We have, we, we really want for nothing. But you know, so many people in our world, in our nation, are unhappy. And I can't help but think about that Laodicean church that Jesus talked about in Revelation chapter 3. You know, that Laodicean church, when they looked at themselves, you know, they said that we're rich, that we are warm and filled, and we have, we have need of nothing. But Jesus said that they were poor, they were naked, they were, they were destitute. You know, in a spiritual sense, they were really poor and naked and destitute, but they looked at themselves as being warm and filled and in need of nothing. And I think that's probably a pretty good picture of America, and that may very well be why people are so unhappy. It's because they're trying to, to be warm and filled with all these worldly pleasures and these worldly desires. But you see, true happiness and true joy does not come from worldly pleasures. It only comes in Christ and in serving God and in serving others. You know, I think that's why that, did you know that not too long ago that I heard a survey and they said that they interviewed middle-aged couples who did not have children. Now, I'm not talking about people who have tried and tried and tried and haven't been able to have children. That's not what I'm talking about, but, but, but people who choose not to have children. They don't want children. There's so many people, you know, young couples today in their, you know, in their 30s and even their 40s, they don't want children. They've legitimately made the decision that we don't want children. And, but they've done a survey and they found out that when they asked these people, these couples, you know, were you satisfied? Were you happy? that couples who had children were much happier than the, the couples that didn't have children. And, you know, I think there's something at the very core of that in that when we have children, you know, up until we have children, our life kind of centers around ourselves. But when we have children, who does it center around? Around our children, doesn't it? You know, I heard one preacher say that, you know, and let me tell you something, it gets even better with grandchildren that grandchildren, oh, man, you know, I always love, I've always loved my kids and made over them and, you know, and just, I just love them. But boy, them grandchildren, it gets even better with grandchildren. I heard one preacher, he said, you know, he said uh, that uh, uh, the reward for not killing your children is grandchildren, you know, and that is so true to those of us who have grandchildren. And, you know, but because I find myself that, you know, I can have a hard day at work, 
But, you know, if Sierra and Peyton, if they're bringing them grandbabies over to the house, and if I know they're at the house, boy, I'm just on cloud nine. I'm coming from Florence, and I'm ready to get home because I want to love on them grandbabies. And that's the way we are. But see, I think there's a secret to happiness in that when we take our focus off of ourselves and we put it on others, whether it's our grandchildren or whether it's just others, you know, I think most of us would, would agree that there's just something about being able to help others that makes you feel good inside. It makes you feel useful. It makes you feel like that, you know, maybe I have a purpose in this life. And I think that's the secret of how God made us. I believe God made us that way. He made us to serve him, but also to serve others. But so many people in our world today, they struggle with depression, with anxiety, with stress. And you know, we all deal with that. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily clinical depression because I don't know anything about clinical depression. I'm not a doctor. I'm talking about the kind of depression, the kind of anxiety and stress that all of us face from, from time to time and from day to day. That's what I'm talking about this morning, that we all face anxiety and stress in our lives, and we, you know, we have to learn how to overcome it. And, you know, this time of year is a time of year when so many people create for themselves New Year's resolutions. And there's nothing wrong with New Year's resolutions. In fact, I think that's probably a great tradition. I don't know if they do that in other countries. They probably do, but, but I think it's a good thing because, you know, most people, when you set a New Year's resolution, you're trying to improve yourself. You're trying to better yourself. You know, the most, uh, uh, I think all of us know what the most, uh, uh, com the, the, the resolution that is most popular is losing weight. I think a lot of us, we tend intend on losing weight in this upcoming year. I know I do. I need to lose about 50 pounds. And so I've got a big New Year's resolution that I've got to see to. And uh, But, you know, also, even more than that, my New Year's resolution is to spend more time in prayer to God, more time studying His Word, more time meditating upon his word. And, you know, the world, you know, overwhelmingly, the majority of their New Year's resolutions has more to do with self-improvement or financial improvement and little to do with spiritual improvement. So I think that really and truly we would be so much better off if we set for ourselves goals and resolutions to to, uh, to grow spiritually because, you know, I really believe if, if a person is right with God, if, if, if they're living their life in harmony with God, that that's where happiness is. And when you're happy, you can accomplish things. You can do things. You know, that's why that I think it's important that we talk about this at the turn of the year because you know what? Once again, so many people are unhappy, and I've never heard anybody set for themselves a New Year's resolution and say, well, hey, what's your New Year's resolution? Well, I want to be unhappy this year. 
I've never heard anybody say that because people, just, they don't say that. You know, you never find that. But this morning, I want us to, to take just a moment to look at how we can improve our outlook on life, how we can overcome anxiety, how we can overcome stress. Because, you know, when we're you know, weighted down with stress and anxiety, it's like, a, you know, if you take your car and you, and you pour sand there in your engine where you put your oil, if you pour sand down in there, you know what's going to happen to the, your, the, your car engine? It's going to come apart because it can't function and operate on sand. It's got to have oil. Well, that's true with our bodies, that when, that when we're weighted down and burdened with stress and anxiety, then, then that's what happens with our bodies. And, uh, and you know what? As I stand before you and, and as I you know, encourage you that we've got to overcome stress and anxiety, that, uh, you know, then, then I will readily admit to you that I struggle with this. I'm a natural worrier. And, you know, uh, and I've had people say, well, you shouldn't worry. You just got to quit worrying. But, you know, some of us, it's just almost a part of our DNA, you know, that I try to quit worrying. And, you know, th my wife will tell you, last night I told her, I said, I need a nerve pill. I'm so nervous about this lesson tomorrow that it is killing me. And she said, uh, she said, well, don't be nervous. And I said, well, I'm trying. But I said, I said, I may have to take a nerve pill. I said, because, boy, this one is bothering me for some reason. Maybe it's because I'm talking about stress and anxiety that I've got it on my mind that I'm so stressed about this lesson. And so I said, you know, ain't that pitiful that someone would get up and tell people how to deal with stress and anxiety when he's dying over here from stress and anxiety? You know, but it's true that I have a natural fear of public speaking, that every single time that I get up before a crowd, my stomach just goes up into a knot, and I mean, it just about tears me apart. And sometimes I ask myself, I say, why do I do this to myself? But you know, sometimes when the Spirit of the Lord is working on you and it's saying, hey, you need to do this, and you're saying, well, I just don't know if I, I, you know, I'm just not comfortable doing that. And so, but that's what we struggle with. We struggle with stress and anxiety. And, uh, and uh, you know, even my feet were sweating this morning. You know, I was so stressed out about this lesson. And, uh, but you know what? The reason, you know, in our everyday lives that we must strive to overcome stress and anxiety is because we can't accomplish anything when we're overcome with stress. That if we want to be uh, make a powerful impact for Christ in this upcoming year, we can't do it if we're burdened down with stress, if we're not happy. And so if we're going to be effective servants for the cause of Christ, then we're going to have to overcome these things in our lives that so easily beset us at times. And listen, you know, I've had people say, I've had people actually shed tears and say that I'm, I'm trying to worry, I'm worrying about this thing that's, that I'm dealing with in my life, and, and it's just so, it's just killing me. It's just such a struggle. And I tell people that I say, look, God knows 
that this is something that we're going to deal with. That's why God's word speaks so often about stress and anxiety because God wants us to know that he cares, that Jesus cares, that he's, that's why Jesus says, lay your burdens on me. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. That every time that you feel this overwhelming stress coming upon you, I want you to remind yourself that Jesus wants me to lay that burden on him and to trust in him. And sometimes that takes some practice, but we can do it. We just got to continue to do it. We got to remind ourselves because for the most part, as human beings, our outward circumstances play a great role in whether or not we're happy. If everything's going well within our relationships, if everything's going well at work, at school, you know, uh, in our lives, if you draw a pie chart and, and you, uh, you know, all the areas of our life, but you just take one of those areas, if it's not going well and if it's out of kilter, then, then stress and anxiety will start creeping into our lives. But you know what? The Word of God, the Word of God reveals to us a happiness and a joy that's not affected, that has less to do with the outward circumstances that we're facing and more to do with our inward perspective. It has more to do with, with whom we serve and where we have our attention focused. Do we have our attention focused on God, on serving the Lord, or do we have it focused on all these worldly things, these worldly pleasures? The greatest, I think one of the greatest examples that we find in the Bible of an individual that was so persecuted, was so tormented, and yet in the face of all the things that he suffered, he was able to rejoice and to live this life that was so powerful and so effective for the cause of Christ, and that's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, you know, we're fairly certain that of all the, of the 27 New Testament epistles or books, that the Apostle Paul wrote 13 of those books. And did you know that five of those epistles that Paul wrote, he wrote while he was in prison? He wrote while he was suffering. You know, the prisons in Paul's day weren't like the prisons uh, of our day that have cable, that have all these amenities. The prisons that in Paul's day, they were rat infested. They were wet. They were moldy. There was just disease and pestilence all in these prisons. They were horrible places. But even though Paul was in prison, he wrote five of these epistles. And you know, uh, and uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, and 2 Timothy, he all wrote, we're almost certain that he was in prison when he wrote those epistles. And even though that he was imprisoned, even though that he was suffering so, Paul could write to that Philippian church in Philippians 4 and verse 4, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. In Philippians 4 and verse 7, he said, The peace of God. He reminded them of the peace of God that surpasseth all understanding. 
And you know, the world, they can't relate to that. They can't relate to the kind of peace that, that surpasseth all understanding when the world around us is crumbling and falling apart. They can't understand someone choosing, you know, to suffer, you know, choosing to endure all of this and still, you know, rejoicing and, 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 and being at peace and content. You know, the Bible says that Moses was the meekest man that ever lived. You know, meekness is when, you know, my definition of meekness is when a person is so committed to something and they stand for something that's far bigger than themselves, that they put it far above themselves. And you know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, it says that by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose rather to suffer affliction with the children of Israel rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses understood where real joy comes from. It wasn't in the initial pleasures of sin that was there in Egypt, but real joy, lasting joy, lasting peace is found only in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 4 and verse 13, the apostle Paul would also write that I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And so when I think about the life of Paul, that in the life of Paul, Acts chapter 22 says that there were some things that, that Jesus, that our Lord, that he had a plan for Paul. There were some things that the Lord was going to assign for Paul to accomplish. The Lord has a plan for you and I as well. But the Lord had a plan for, for Paul. And remember, he was known as Saul at this time. And even though that Saul was persecuting the church, that he had consented to the death of Stephen. And when I think about Stephen, that young uh, disciple of Christ, I think the word that comes to my mind is precious. Precious. That Stephen, that he stood up that day in Jerusalem, and he preached one of the most powerful sermons ever recorded in God's word. And what did they do? They killed him for it. They stoned him. And at the point of death, Stephen said, said Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so Paul saw he had committed to the he had he had consented to the to the stoning and the person and the and the uh, uh, and the killing of Stephen, but sometimes later Jesus had decided that Paul was to be a chosen vessel unto him. He had a plan for Saul, and Saul was on his way to Damascus to bind and to persecute. Every man and woman that was of the faith, that were Christians, he was on his way to Damascus to do, to do that. And on the way to Damascus, it says that this bright light, that it shined round about him. And that, that Saul, that he fell to the ground, and he said, Lord, who art thou? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. 
it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? And he said, you go into the city and there it will be told thee what thou must do. And so Saul, he's blind. He's struck blind at this time. These, these, uh, you know, uh, 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 these things had formed on his eyes and he could not see. And so they had to lead him by the hand into the city. And he went into the, the house of Judas and, uh, and, uh, and he was, says he was praying for three days that he had not eaten or drank anything. And at this time, the Lord, he had appeared unto to a, a devout disciple there named Ananias. He came to him in a vision, and he said, Ananias. And Ananias, he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go down to the street that is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas of one Saul of Tarsus. And he said, But Lord, I've heard of this man that that the evil that he has perpetrated upon the on, on the people of faith in, in Jerusalem, that I've heard of this man and all the terrible things that he's done. And so, but Jesus says unto him, He says, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and before kings and before the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And if you want to see those things and you want to know what Paul suffered and what he endured, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 and verses through 31. Paul here, he's addressing those that were boasting in the fact that they were Jews, that they were children of Abraham. And he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, often. Oft, you know, it is thought that many of these times, the things that Paul endured, the beatings, the stonings, that he was left almost to the brink of death, of death. And some believe that he did die in the stoning and that the Lord raised him up because remember there was an occasion where Paul talked about this individual that he knew that had been had been had gone up into the third heaven. Some people think that Paul was talking in the third person there and that he was talking about himself, you know. But it says that in deaths often of the Jews, I was five times received by 40 stripes, saved one. In other words, he says I was scourged five times. Do you realize that sometimes people did not, did not live through one scourging? A scourging is where they literally filleted the hide, the, the flesh off of your back. And he said that I suffered that five times. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, the night and the day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils often, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, and watchings often in hunger, 
and thirst and in fasting often and in cold and nakedness. And beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Do you notice what he said in verse 28? Of all the things that Paul said that he endured, the scourgings, the beatings, the stonings, through all of these things, Paul says in verse 28 that the worst of it all is that through all this was my care for the churches, my worry for the body of Christ. Do you see the selflessness there of Saul? That through all of his suffering, he was concerned about the body of Christ and about the churches. And you know, if that doesn't motivate us and inspire us and light a fire under us to want to be greater servants for the cause of Christ in this upcoming year, then I don't know what would. And when I think about what Hebrews chapter 11 says about the martyrs, those who were sawn asunder, that were torn apart, that were fed to lions, that were burned alive for their faith in Jesus Christ. And when I think about, you know, I have a book called The Arkansas Angels. And in that book, it, it, it details the lives of so many of the early gospel preachers during the restoration movement. And that, that these many of these men were from Arkansas and they traveled all over preaching the gospel. They, was, they went to where the people were and they traveled by horseback and by mule. And some of the stories that these men tell about they were hungry, they were exposed to the elements that they, you know, if you went 50 or 60 miles or 100 miles to preach the gospel and you done it on horseback and mule, you didn't do it in an hour or so. It was a, it was a quite, it was an endeavor. And I read about this one preacher that he traveled this long distance to preach the gospel. And when he got there, he preached unto them and he, and he had not packed a meal or anything with him and, and he preached. Well, after the, the worship services, I guess the brethren there, they just assumed that he had his food and stuff in his knapsack. And so they all went home and he didn't have nothing to eat. And so he traveled back home over this period of two days and he hadn't eaten anything. And when he got home, it was late. And he said he asked his wife if she would fix him something to eat that he hated to bother her. But he hadn't eaten. He hadn't eaten in a couple of days. And he said after that, that he never traveled to preach the gospel, that his wife did not load up his knapsack with food. That's the kind of commitment that we should endeavor to have in serving the Lord. Now, in conclusion, you know, remember, we're thinking about, we're talking about what can we do in order to be more effective for the cause of Christ in this upcoming year. And I want to conclude with, with a story. That there was a wise man and that he was known far and wide for his wisdom and for his discernment. 
And there was a young man who didn't respect this wise man. And he said unto himself, he said, I will go to the wise man and I will take this small bird and I will hold this small bird in my hand behind my back when I stand before this wise man and I will ask him, in my hand there is a bird. Is that bird alive or is it dead? And he said, if the wise man says it is alive, then he said, I will crush that bird in my hand and kill it. But he said, if the wise man says that the bird is dead, then he said, I will present the bird to him alive that he might know that he was wrong. And so he traveled and he went to this wise man and he stood before the wise man and, uh, and he said, Mr. Wise Man, he says, in my hand, I hold this small bird behind my back. He said, is that bird alive or is it dead? And the wise man gazed upon him for a short while to kind of size him up. And he said, young man, the bird that you hold in your hand, it is as you choose. It is as you choose. So I leave you with this thought. In this upcoming year, will we choose to be greater servants for the cause of Christ? Will we choose a year that's defined by, by success, by spiritual success and commitment? Or, we, or will we choose a year that is defined by apathy? and mediocrity. The lesson is yours. If you're here this morning and you need to be, and you've never been baptized for the remission of your sins, won't you do that this morning? If you're here and, and there's some public, there's some sin in your life that's as a, it, that's is, a, is of a public nature, and you need to make that thing right in a public way, won't you do that this morning? But if you just want the prayers of the church, if we can serve you in any way, won't you come? while we stand and while we sing. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a church of Christ caring for its community.